silence. Darkness. It's kind of the polar opposite of what you expect during Christmas time, right? I mean, part of the fun, the excitement of the Christmas season are the lights and the sounds. I mean, driving down the city streets and just seeing all the lights, going into a home and hearing the Christmas music. And, and at this time of the year, as families gather together and you just hear homes full of laughter and conversations, it's the sights and the sounds of Christmas that just seem to make this season come alive to make it special. But suppose for a moment that you canceled out all of the singing. That you, that you removed all the laughing, all the conversations. Instead, you just had silence. You removed all the lights. You took down all the trees. You, you, you took all that stuff away, and, and in this place, there was just darkness. That didn't sound much like Christmas. That sounds more like a nightmare, really. But you need to know that before Jesus came, The previous 400 years, they were known as the silent years, the dark years. When the prophet Malachi, when he set down his pen, when he laid aside his quill, that would be the last time that God would speak in any kind of way to his people. For 400 years, God did not speak. Heaven was silent. There were no prophets. There was no angelic messengers. There was no word from God There was silence. These were known as the silent years, the dark period. And then finally, at long last, an angel came. The angel Gabriel came, and and he announced the birth of a coming son. He told that this miraculous birth would soon take place, that God had finally communicated again to people. And heaven had spoken, the silent years were over. You can imagine the joy that that there would be much rejoicing. And there was word spread. Neighbors came to this birth and they were rejoicing and they were singing. Word went out. All of the fanfare that you would expect after God had finally spoken again. And then finally, John the Baptist was born. Shortly after... Gabriel went and told Zechariah of the coming birth of John the Baptist. He made another visit. This time he went to a young virgin girl named Mary. She was probably only about 13 or 14 years old at the time. She was engaged to be married to a poor carpenter named Joseph. I want to read the story to you again this morning. It's the great Christmas story. It never gets old. We've we've looked at shepherds. We've looked at wise men. This morning, we're going to focus right in on Jesus himself. I'm going to begin in Luke's gospel, verses uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and then I'm going to move right in to Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You can try to follow along if you'd like, or you can just sit back and listen to the greatest story ever told once again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to, dis- to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, and with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. When Gabriel was finally given his marching orders by God, he was finally able to come and speak again and to be this mouthpiece for God again. He just kept going, didn't he? First he goes to Zechariah, and then he goes to Mary, and then he goes to Joseph, and then to the shepherds. There was such good news that needed to be told to so many people. He had a lot of people to get to. And you know, it was one thing for this old barren woman Elizabeth to get pregnant. You know, even Zechariah, a priest, you know, a priest who stood as the mouthpiece of God, representing God to the people at that time, even he could not believe it. I mean, Elizabeth, she was well past childbearing years. She was far past her prime. And in those days, you know, if you didn't have kids, it was a shame on you and your family. And you know, it was a man's world, so if you didn't have kids, the responsibility of not having kids was always on the woman. And so she would have been looked down upon, she would have been marginalized, everyone would have wondered, there would have been whispers, she would have known those stares, everyone thinking, what's wrong with her? Well, why could she not provide a child for Zechariah? There's something wrong with that woman. And she had to live with that. All these years, 
And Zechariah, a loving husband, he, he loved his wife as best we can tell. He tried to shepherd her through that, to love her through that, but, but how can you? And you know, and he, he was accustomed to broken promises because there was always the hope, right? All these years, so many times he must have wondered, could this be the time? Could now she be pregnant? She's a little late. Could it be that now she's pregnant? But it was always broken promises. Hopes never fulfilled. The dream just never came to be. And then finally, an angel comes, a messenger from God comes and tells Zechariah that Elizabeth, as old as she is, she's going to be pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son. I don't even know if he looked up. (laughs) You know, oh, come on. This could not be. I've heard this before, I'd hoped this before, but now it's, it's too late. And so he was muted. He could not speak until the birth of John the Baptist. Old Baron Elizabeth was pregnant. It seemed as if it couldn't be true that the impossible had taken place. And as amazing as the news was, is my mic still on? As amazing as the news was that Elizabeth was pregnant, Gabriel, he soon delivered even more amazing news because now it wasn't just an old, barren woman who's pregnant. Now it's a young, teenage, virgin girl who's pregnant, a girl named Mary, and she's gonna give birth to God's own son, As amazing as Elizabeth, this was much more, this was incredible. A a childless lady being pregnant, that's one thing. But a virgin being pregnant with God's son, this is something altogether different. This would change everything. This is amazing. Because you see, before this, it was always God and humanity. There was always God and humanity. God was something different all together. I mean, when God had spoke in the past, in Old Testament times, he would speak through an angel, he'd speak through a prophet, a, a priest, um, on certain special occasions when he did something really extraordinary. He would speak through a burning bush or a finger writing on the wall. But God was never man. I mean, this, this was something altogether different. He was never limited by flesh and bones. He never had blood just pumping through his veins. He was never constrained by location. He was this omnipresent God, someone altogether different. And, and now it had been prophesied, the prophet Isaiah had said he had told of this virgin who would give birth and and that he would give birth to, she would give birth to a son, that unto us a, a child will be born, unto us a son will be given. And it was told that you are to give him the title Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because before this, it had always been God and us. And now imagine with me for a moment, though, that you're God. And you're preparing to make your grand entrance on planet Earth. You're you're sending your son. For the first time, God will be man. How would you do it? How would you come? Almost certainly you wouldn't have done it the way God did. 
I mean, th- think about it. We, we, you could choose any time throughout all of history. You could choose any parents you wanted throughout all of history. Would you choose Mary and Joseph? Probably not. You, you may, maybe you'd want a king. You know, a king family, someone with royalty and notoriety and power and, and authority that everyone would just look to immediately and say, oh, well, he's in charge. Maybe somebody like that. Maybe you would want someone who had just been faithful and walked with God for a long time. Maybe like John the Baptist, you would want uh, parents like Zechariah and Elizabeth, a priest who'd been faithful, proclaiming God's word, someone who walked with God for a while, this would do. He would be faithful. Maybe you'd want just a, a wealthy, loving family who could provide and protect and love your son well. Would you have chosen a poor, poor, engaged couple, not even married yet? Mary, probably in her early teens, Joseph, a little older probably wouldn't have chosen that, just ordinary, insignificant, poor, common people. We at least would have chosen a family where Jesus could have spent his first night lying in a bed, not in straw, not in some feeding trough, a manger. We probably would have picked a time in history when at least the Roman cross of crucifixion was extinct, knowing his mission. We would have had him die, you know, he could die for us, but maybe not like that, not the most painful way ever put into practice. We would not have chosen this. Who would have chosen this? Now, when Elizabeth gave birth to John, you know, there was much fanfare. There was much excitement. Neighbors did come. They did celebrate. Word did go out. Zechariah and Elizabeth had finally had a child, a son. John had been born. News spread. People throughout Judea began praising God and worshiping. There is excitement in the air because Zechariah and Elizabeth have a son. It's John the Baptist. It's easy to celebrate other people's excitement and their joy and to rejoice with them and, and seeing the joy of their fellow man, that, that you can do that. You might have expected that when Jesus was born that there would be even more fanfare, more excitement, that the news would go even further, that even more people would come because now a virgin has given birth to God's son. That wasn't really the case, though, because there's something about Jesus. Je- Jesus isn't someone that you can just celebrate. Jesus brings joy. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He brings good news of great joy, but he also brings tension. Because when Jesus shows up, he doesn't just leave things the way he finds them. You know, think about this for a moment. I want to show you what I mean. Imagine with me again that you're Mary or Joseph, and Mary's pregnant. And now you've got to have a conversation with your parents. And, you, and you, you get your parents over. You know she's going to be showing soon. And you say, hey, mom, dad, you need to know Mary's pregnant. But it wasn't us. We didn't have anything to do. It's God's son. How do you imagine that conversation going? And friends and neighbors, they would begin to notice. They would begin to see that Mary's pregnant. I mean, Joseph, he had in mind to cause her the least possible shame and to divorce her quietly. But 
Now the angel has come and they're sticking this out. They're together and neighbors and, and friends. They're whispering to one another, do you see what's going on with Mary? How do you have that conversation? How do you explain to people what's taken place? Who would believe them? Oh, it's good news of great joy. They're going to give birth. They're going to be the parents of God's son. But make no mistake about it, there's tension. There's tension too. I mean, Mary and Joseph, they would have to move, and they would have to move, and they would have to move again. Mary, she wouldn't be allowed to give birth in her hometown of Nazareth. She would have taken, she had to take what amounted to about an 80-mile journey to Bethlehem. A journey on rocky, unpaved, uneven roads. While she was very pregnant, the Bible says she was great with child. Maybe she rode on a donkey, a, a mule. Maybe she was by foot. I don't know. When she got there, you can imagine her feet were swollen. And then you know the story. Joseph goes around searching, but there's no room for them in the end. They're offered a little place out back, which is most likely a cave where animals were kept. And it's not the animals that we see in our, pic, in our, in our Christmas cards, you know, where they're all just laying there quietly and politely and just looking at the birth of Jesus just peacefully. No, these are real animals, and they're walking around the cave, and they're making noises, and they're eating, and they're doing other smelly things that animals do. And then you need to realize, too, that in ancient times, in the ancient world, one of the most difficult, dangerous things for women was childbirth. And here's Mary, and, and the contractions are coming. And she's laying in probably just a pile of straw. And here's the contractions, and her mom's not there to hold her hand and to guide her through this process. There's no medical professionals there to help deliver the child. There's just Joseph, a man she's never been with. She's never known him like that. As one author put it, she, Joseph was one of the most unlikely midwives in all of Israel. She's been traveling. Her feet are swollen. She's in a cave with stinky animals. And then the baby comes, laying in a pile of straw. She knows the baby's coming. I just imagine that perhaps those words that the angel Gabriel had spoken to Mary, maybe they just stuck in her mind, you know, those words, nothing is impossible with God. Perhaps as she's laying there, she just repeated that phrase over and over and over again through the contractions. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God until she birthed the Son of God. And then at that moment, something changed. Now truly, for the first time, he is God with us. He's not God and us any longer for the first time. He's now fully God with us. The God who knew no beginning was born. The God who holds all things together was held by his mother. 
The God who said, let there be light, now squinting with watery eyes to behold light. The God who never grows tired or weary, now lay sleeping in his mother's arms in a manger. He is now in every way we are fully human. He is now for the very first time in a way he had never been before. God with us. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Mary and Joseph, they would now have the privilege of teaching and training Jesus. I mean, they would be the ones to to teach Jesus the Psalms. They would have sung the Psalms of David over him. They would have walked him through Moses and, and before that Abraham and then, and then Joshua. And, and as they're singing those psalms of, of David over Jesus, I, I just imagine that them stopping for a moment and telling Jesus, Hey, Jesus, you need to know, David, he's your great, great, great grandfather. And hey, you should know, uh, before David, other also in that line, there was Boaz and Ruth. And they were great, faithful people. Oh, and Boaz, his mom was Rahab. And man, we got some stories on her. (laughs) And then at some point, they would have reached the prophets. And I can imagine Joseph reading to Jesus from the prophet Isaiah. As he read from Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, and as Joseph reads this to Jesus, he sees the fulfillment of that promise right in his arms. I can just imagine Mary singing those messianic psalms over her Messiah. And then Jesus, as he just lay maybe sleeping in her arms, perhaps Mary said to herself again, Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God because here he is, Emmanuel, God with us. News would go out. I mean, Gabriel, he would go tell the shepherds, and then you have dirty, unclean Jewish shepherds. They would come. Sometime later, wealthy Gentile magi would come. Sometime after that, Pharisees and lame men would come. Sadducees and blind men would come. The significant and the insignificant, they would come. Young and old would come. People from all walks of life, from every background would come. And here he is, Emmanuel, God with us. Regardless of ethnicity or age or gender or social status or anything else you might Imagine, it doesn't matter. Here he is, God with us. He's with all of us. It doesn't have to be God and you anymore because he has come. 
And you know, when God comes into your life, he changes everything. He doesn't leave things the way he finds them. There is joy, but don't miss it. There is tension as well. You look at the shepherds when Jesus comes and he comes into their life and, he, and they go to see his birth and they meet him. These were men who were comfortable just living on the fringes of society, but now they're changed. They can't live life normal anymore. They go out to all the townspeople who would have ostracized them before and they share Jesus with them. They go and tell. They tell it everywhere to anyone who would listen. And the people there, they listen and they think to themselves, can this really be true? Can we really trust what these shepherds are telling us? You see, the good news of Jesus cannot be kept. A Samaritan woman with quite a past, she would end up at the well at the heat of the day trying to avoid the crowds. And she would meet Jesus, and Jesus doesn't leave her the way he finds her. There's tension there. But after she meets him, she runs and she tells everybody. She tells the whole town, hey, these people who she was trying to avoid before, now she's telling them, you must meet this man who told everything about me. And they hear her story, and many Samaritans believe because of her. The good news of Jesus cannot be kept. A demon-possessed man, he was forced to live on the outside of town. He was too dangerous to live in town because of these demons. He was violent, so he was left to live in the caves. And then he met Jesus, and Jesus just didn't leave him the way he finds them. There, he, there's tension there. His life is changed. And he goes back after he's restored into the town to tell the people about Jesus. The good news of Jesus cannot be kept. There was a leper who was excommunicated from society because he was unclean. And Jesus met him and he didn't leave him the way he found him. He changed him, he cleansed him, and he even gave him instructions. Hey, don't go telling people because then they're just gonna come to me for a miracle. But the leper, he couldn't just stay silent. He had to tell people. So he goes and he begins telling everyone the good news of Jesus because the good news of Jesus can't be kept. Crowds would gather. They would long to get close to Jesus, to hear Jesus. They're amazed at his teaching because they've never heard anyone teach like this before. No prophet, no priest, no, no, no one ever has taught with this kind of authority. No one has ever explained the scriptures the way Jesus had. So they longed to get close to him and they wanted to see him do a miracle. But when it was just a miracle... And Jesus called them out and he said, you're just coming to me for a miracle. See, I can't just meet you and leave you the way you are. Things must change. I love you too much to leave you the way I found you. Oh, it's good news of great joy, but there's tension. And the crowds, they scatter away because they don't want to be changed. They don't want the normal Upset, They want to live life like they always had. You know, when Jesus came to Mary and Joseph, when he came to the shepherds, when he came to the woman at the well, the demon-possessed man, when he came to the leper, when he came to countless others, maybe when he came to you and when he came to me, he didn't just leave us the way he found us. 
he changed us. He changed our lives forever. And now the good news can't be kept. We just have to go tell it. We got to go tell it anywhere, everywhere, to anyone who would listen. This is what Jesus does. Many in the crowds, they just wanted a miracle. Maybe they wanted a Messiah who would feed them, a Messiah who would simply heal them, maybe, maybe a Messiah who would solve the political problems of the day, a political Messiah, that would be good. Someone who could make the world safe. But the good news of Jesus is that he came to do more than just meet our physical needs or solve our political problems. He came to transform our lives. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He didn't come to leave us the way he found us. He came to recreate us into the image of his son so that we would look like him, so that we would be fit for heaven. And as it turns out, people don't like to admit they're lost. People don't like to admit that they've got problems that they can't solve on their own. The disciples at one point in Jesus' ministry, they even come to Jesus and they, and they ask, Jesus, you got to tell us who then can be saved. And Jesus looked at them and he said, you know, with man, this is impossible. You cannot save yourself. But with God, nothing is impossible. <laughs> there it is again. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Has that reality ever sunk into your heart? Where you realize who I've been does not have to define who I will be. That my past does not dictate my future. That God has come not to leave me how he found me, but to transform me into a new creation into the perfect version of who he created me to be, that he has saved me with a purpose. Not just for heaven, no, he saved me for a purpose here and now. He's recreating me, he's changing my heart here and now for who he wants me to be now. And he gives us that great promise, that great command at the end of Matthew to go tell it. To go make disciples, that as you're going, that you're just sharing, that you're sharing Jesus, and you're doing more than that. You're showing them what it looks like to live for Jesus, to love Jesus, to, to train them in what Jesus has taught so that they could look more like the Savior as well. He came to save our deepest problem, to solve our deepest problem, our sin problem. He did for us what would be impossible for us to do. But with God, nothing is impossible. He died a death meant for us, and he gave us his perfection in its place. The problem for many in the crowds is they didn't want it. It would upset life too much. It would upset their normal. It would upset their routine. But for those who met Jesus, it was the best news of the greatest joy that they've ever had. Did it bring tension? Absolutely. Jesus even said, hey, I'm going to turn mother against father. I'm going I'm to turn son against father, and, and, and family relationships will be strained because of me. 
There's going to be difficulty because of me. You're, you're, you're going to be persecuted because of me. There's going to be tension because of me. But at the same time, it's the best joy you'll ever know because you'll be able to live life the way it's meant to be lived. Last week, with uh, all the fun that we had with Jingle Jam, one of the greatest lessons in that is that God gives the best fun. Is that it's good to be able to come here and to celebrate and to laugh and enjoy and to understand that God gives the best fun. Fun that you can put your head on a pillow at the end of the night and know, hey, this was good. No regrets. No do-overs. Just, this was good. This was fun. This is the way God designed life to be. To be enjoyed by him and to, to, to be accomplishing the mission that he's called us to do. It's the greatest news of the greatest joy, and it can't be kept. Because good news can't be kept. When you have good news, you just have to share it with someone. You don't hold it inside, you find someone. It just comes out in conversations. Oh, you've got to know, let me tell you, what Jesus has done in my life. And it, it can go like this, really as simple as this. Hey, oh, you know I'm a Christian. Well, what kind of Christian would I be if I didn't tell you about what Jesus has done for me? When these people heard the good news of Jesus, when Jesus met them and just turned their lives right side up, it couldn't be kept. They went and they told anyone who had listened, their whole towns, everybody, individuals, just telling the good news of Jesus. That's what you do with good news. You just tell anybody and everybody. But maybe this Christmas you also need to be reminded that Jesus is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, that he is right here with us, that he can identify with every joy, every struggle, every laughter, every tear. He's God with us. And if you're ever tempted to think, well, you know, maybe then he was God with us. But after he accomplished his mission and everything, he ascended into heaven. Maybe at one time he was God with us, but now isn't it more like God and us again? Then I need to remind you, you know, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, as, as we read it, hey, here's the promise. This is the title that you were to give Jesus. You're to give Jesus the title Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the promise being fulfilled. God is now with us. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, as, math, as, as Jesus gives us that great commission, our marching orders, what we're called to do, do you remember Jesus' last line? He says, and behold, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Do you see it? That he is now and forevermore God with us. He has not abandoned us. He is still God with us. That's his promise to us. He's God with us and he's not going anywhere. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. You needed that reminder that God is with you. He is with you. You don't have to live life alone anymore. He will empower you in the going. The silent years are over. The dark years have passed. Jesus is now and forevermore Emmanuel, God with us. It's the greatest news ever given. Heavenly Father, 
we do thank you for this good news of great joy that you have given a child to us, you have given your son for us, and that you are now God with us. (laughs) Forgive us for when we think we gotta try to live this life on our own, that that it's just us and you. God, help us to live life the way you intended it to be lived with you. What a privilege, God, that we get to be empowered by your spirit to go and tell this good news, the greatest news of our lives, that Jesus has come to save us from our sin. Help us to tell it well this season and for the rest of our lives. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.